Today on CityCast Philly, I've heard and seen tiny homes, but not ones that look like UFOs. Back in the 60s and 70s, there were large pod-shaped buildings known as Futuro, House of the Future. They were going to modernize American living, but these spaceship-looking homes flopped. Today, I'm chatting with a reporter about the ones that survived in our region and why there's a movement to bring them back. It's Tuesday, November 29th, 2022. I'm Trinae Nuri, and this is CityCast Philly. Kevin Reardon, you write about real estate and business for the Inquirer. Let's go back, back into time to the 1960s when the original Futuro homes were being designed. Can you just describe for our listeners what these homes looked like? Yes. Anyone who's ever seen a 50s or 60s sci-fi movie, you know, on some like remote channel and some old VHS tape or something like that, right, (laughs) has probably seen a flying saucer, as they were called. And it's basically shaped like an oval and compressed. So it kind of looks like a fat Frisbee, right? (laughs) And this, this kind of fat little Frisbee shape was iconic, I think, in it's fair to say, in pop culture consciousness of America and, and other countries, especially in the 50s and 60s. And in 1965, a Finnish architect named Matti Surinen uh, came up with an idea for a, and he never described it as a UFO-shaped house. It was an ellipse. It was a technical term for the architectural drawing and the design. And the work began on this in 1965. And by 1968, in Finland, he had introduced the Futuro. And the Futuro was a molded plastic. It would be self-contained. The windows went around the outside of this unusual pancake frisbee shaped thing and it was large enough for a small group to sit comfortably and to sleep there was a kitchen there was also a bathroom there was lots of storage space there was built-in furniture with cushions and very bright kind of 60s mod designed look to it right and it was surprisingly spacious. I have been told this by people who have been inside them. I have not been inside a Futuro. However, I did visit our regions at this point, the immediate Philadelphia region's only known Futuro, which is intact, and it is in a park in Willingboro, New Jersey. Kevin, I'm curious. It's one thing to stay in a non-traditional home for, you know, like a vacation that one of these homes that might be featured on Airbnb or Verbo, but to live in one of these homes is something different. Would you say that the design is practical and functional for today's society? 
Trinae, I think you you hit on why the Futuro, despite its reputation, you know, Finnish design, Scandinavian design, you know, had this sort of cachet, Playboy magazine, which at the time was kind of a tastemaker for sophisticated, you know, audiences, raved about the Futuro, said it was going to be this wild place to bring your girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever, right? But the point is (laughs) that it appears from what I've been able to discover in the interviews that I did for the story that ran in the Inquirer last month, they weren't all that practical once people actually saw them in person. And it's true that Philadelphians didn't like them, right? Well, it Philadelphia was a center of the Futuro. So it, it was the Futuro of Philadelphia because a company in Philly was the only U.S. manufacturer. They were manufactured in Finland, and they were also manufactured in the United States. And all of the Futuros that still exist in the U.S., there's a possible exception, one or two, but most of them were made in, not actually in Philly, but in Pleasantville, New Jersey, by a Philadelphia company. And the first Futuro scene in the United States was brought here from Finland and put on display at the Philadelphia International Airport in 1969. And I suspect that that was because there was a company in Philly that was going to be introducing them to the American market. That company was part of a successful Philadelphia construction company. However, the whole Futuro business that they entered into did not catch on with the public. And I think you touched on why. There was something about the idea of living in something that looked like a UFO. <laughs> and the also the idea that where would you put this house? If you put it on a, the city, more than likely, wouldn't allow it zoning-wise, right? And suburban communities were very much all about conformity, particularly back in the 60s and 70s. If you were attempting to purchase a building lot and then put a, a Futuro on it, you'd probably run into some problems from your neighbors. It, I think what hurt them, uh, Trine, was that however innovative the design and construction, right? Which was, I mean, it was a plastic house and it was, you know, it was with built in furniture, built in furniture. Exactly. I think the reality was that there wasn't a market for something that looked like that as a place to live. Okay, so maybe it didn't work out for residential housing, but. You know, why did the homes fall flat even maybe for commercial use? Well, again, as a good question, they the company began to market them differently. A year or so after, by 1971, I saw a copy of the uh, sort of a spec sheet uh, for all the different models that were available. And the company was on uh, right off Rittenhouse Square in, in Center City, Philly. And uh, they had their letterhead and they had all their models, you know, uh, soup to nuts, all the different things that were available. And they were offering them as potential daycare centers and also as, yes. And now, you know, I'll tell you, there might have been a potential market because I think kids probably would, ooh, you know, get into a spaceship, right? Right. They would totally love it. Yes. And I think that was probably a very good idea. But again... They arrived a little too late 
also to cash in on the real kind of early 60s space fascination, right? By the end of the 60s, we had gone, the U.S. had landed on the moon. By the end of the 60s, the country was in a different place than it had been five or six years earlier, right? When the Jetsons Mm -hmm. cartoon was on TV and everything about, you know, going to the moon and all this. And I think their moment had passed. Now, I have to ask the money question. (laughs) Back in the 60s and 70s, how much did a Futuro model home cost? It depended on the one that you got, but the the maximum price was around $16,000. I would say that would be roughly equivalent to, I don't know, maybe $150,000 now, something like Mm -hmm. that. And I should add, the companies that are looking at selling them are talking about selling them for close to $300,000 each. And that would be for use as B&Bs or for, for residential use, because we should mention that in Delaware, in Southern Delaware, there is a, a original Futuro that is occupied and has been for 50 years by one of the early owners, if not the original owner. And I emailed this individual and was not able to get them to agree to an interview. But it wasn't completely impractical for living. There are people around the world. There's Futuros in Australia and New Zealand. There are some in Asia. Uh, There's a few in Western Europe. And then there's in the U.S. Uh, That's pretty much where the Futuros all are. And there's about 70 of them that still exist on the planet. So it's it's interesting that there is now this new fascination and renewed attention being paid to these crazy <laughs> futuristic objects from the past, you know? Going back to the Futuro homes that are in our area, tell me a little bit about the one you saw in Willingboro. Well, in Willingboro, it was brought in by helicopter in the very early 70s. This happened in two New Jersey towns, and one of them was Willingboro. A bank at the time, a savings bank chain that was in New Jersey, City Federal Savings, decided that they would have a space bank. And the space bank would be a Futuro, would be like a branch of the bank. And so it was brought in by helicopter to a shopping center in Willingboro and also to a shopping center in Woodbridge in central New Jersey. They were used as bank branches briefly, but it was not long after that that the township of Willingboro either purchased or was given the Futuro by City Federal Savings. Apparently, people in Willingboro and in Woodbridge in the early 70s weren't in love with the idea of walking into a spaceship and doing their banking, you know? I mean, and again, it's kind of like, why would that work? You know, it's it seems a little bit too silly for something as serious as banking, right? So it didn't work. Willingboro got the Futuro. They used it for a while as a um, headquarters for the Police Athletic League in the town. And they also used it part of the recreation department had offices in there. And one of the young women that I interviewed for my story, who I met when I was up there, remembered going into it. But it has been in a park, the biggest park in Willingboro, and it's well positioned. So you see it when you drive in, but it's kind of 
forgotten in a way. Mm-hmm. Like I was asking, I couldn't find it at first. So I was asking people where, and, and, and a couple people knew they said, Oh, the spaceship. Yeah. It's, it's right over here. Other people were like, what? There's a UFO in Willingboro. What, what, what's going on? The good thing though, is that the township wants to keep it. They've gotten offers from private people offering to buy it, right? But Willingboro is going to hold on to it, which I think is a very smart thing because... Yeah, it's an artifact it's of an history. Ar- it's actually, it absolutely is. And Willingboro was a town that was built uh, as a Levitt town, just like Levittown, Pennsylvania and Levittown, New York. And it was built by uh, William Levitt. And uh, it featured prefabricated houses. And it arose during the 50s and the 60s, and it had a big shopping centers and all the kind of jazzy 60s architecture was in Willingboro. So it's the perfect spot for uh, something like the Futuro. And the township is looking into ways to preserve it. And they're talking to the state of New Jersey Office of Preservation. And they're looking for, you know, they, they could use some grants. And they want to get together with people from the community and have a brainstorming session, which I think is a great idea. Let's have the folks in Willingboro have a say in what happens next to this amazing piece of history that they've got in their town. Yeah, and it it makes me wonder, too, Kevin, there's also a tiny home movement happening in our area and really around the country. Some see it as a solution to housing people experiencing homelessness. Could these Futuro homes serve as a similar purpose? I don't see any reason why not. And I think one of the things that is being built into the homes now that that speaks to the whole value of them or the usefulness of them in in meeting needs such as people experiencing homelessness right or even something like in in areas where there has been a disaster is that unlike the original futuros which were modular but were basically two halves stuck together right? The new ones are segmented so that they can be disassembled easily and and put on trucks um, or put on airplanes for that matter. But the bottom line is they're much more portable than they used to be. So there's another avenue of usefulness for them. And, um, you know, it seems to me also that there would be a way, and I'm not, you know, a manufacturer and I don't know anything about modular construction except what it is, right? But it does seem to me that there would be a way to market a less expensive model, right? Uh, One Mm -hmm. that doesn't necessarily have all the cool furniture or whatever, but still has, you know, obviously working utilities, has a kitchen, has a bathroom, has sleeping areas, has is a is a pleasant environment and nonetheless is affordable, let's say, even in the form of maybe a community. Right. Almost like a prefabricated community like Willingboro originally was, you could set up and assemble Futuros in a pleasing landscape, right, with streets and easy access to shopping and all that kind of stuff. That could be done. And and I think if cost is such a big consideration, which it is, then why couldn't this Ultra modern idea from the past be put to use now when we really need affordable housing 
uh, all over the world, not just in the U.S. All right. That's Kevin Reardon, staff writer for The Inquirer. Thank you so much for being on CityCast Philly. Thank you, Trinae. I had a great time. Follow more stories from Kevin on Twitter. We'll have a link in our show notes. And here's what else Philly's talking about. Longtime activist and local politician Thomas Milton Street Sr. has died. According to the Inquirer, Street advocated for people experiencing poverty and homelessness in the city. He also served in both the state House and Senate. His brother John served two terms as mayor, and his nephew Sharif is a state senator. Street was 83. And the African Cultural Alliance of North America, a local nonprofit supporting African immigrants, received a $9 million state grant. According to WHYY, these funds will help develop Africatown in the southwest Philly neighborhood from South 47th Street and Baltimore Avenue to South 74th Street and Lindbergh Boulevard. The goal of Africatown is to develop commercial and residential properties, a community center, banquet hall, and health center. That's all for today here on CityCast Philly. If you enjoyed the show, why not tell a friend, rate the show, leave us a review, and subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye.